Well, good morning, friends. I'm excited to get back in the saddle here. I'm glad Larry was able to take a week for me. I had eight straight weeks that were pretty tough during you asked for it. So it's good to catch my breath a little bit. It's so good to be back up here. We are just kind of scary a few weeks out from Easter, which is always a special time uh, at North Terrace. And we just start preparing uh, for what we hope will be a weekend of celebration, a weekend of great joy, uh, but also a weekend where so many of, of our friends, our family, and our community come and they gather with us. And we want to be uh, good neighbors on that weekend, good, get, good hosts, and so we're just preparing even now. So just be ready in the next couple weeks. We're going to talk about different things. We really hope that each and every one of you um, will connect with people where you live, work, and play and invite them to be part of this journey of faith together. One of the things that is a big deal, and if you've been here on an Easter weekend, uh, you know because uh, we have a large gathering, uh, that uh, that's a weekend we just kind of uh, take everything up a notch if we can, especially our parking team. Um, we have so much traffic that comes in and out on that weekend that we, we really try to put a, an all-star team out there. If you would be willing... Uh, you just have to be 16 years or older uh, to be part of our parking team. Even if, even like, I can do one weekend. I'll, I'll help out that weekend for one service. We would love to have you do that. So on your Connect cards, it's in the bulletin where it says weekly question. If you are willing to say, I'd, I'd be willing to help, just contact me and let me know what I need to do. We're going to have a little bit of training for that. And you're like, it's, it's just parking cars. What's the big deal? Time out. It's not just parking cars. For people who are arriving and really don't have a relationship with North Terrace or with God, it's really a chance to be a positive first impression. And so just to smile, to, to be a, a warm face that greets them and helps them find that first space where now they got a place to park their vehicle, now they can come in. It can really set a tone for a whole positive experience to begin to engage with God and his story. So just let me help you cast that as a little different. Besides wearing a high visibility vest and waving this way, you're really being part of a team that can make a big difference. So fill out the Connect card, put it in the boxes on the way out, and let us know. You can also use those Connect cards to let us know about prayer requests, and we love to pray for that. This Are You My Neighbor series is really, really important. It, it's, it's important for what is happening at North Terrace right now. I think it's important as we go forward. Uh, friends, we, the leaders at North Terrace, we're in a time of a lot of prayer, a lot of seeking right now, about what God has in store for kind of the next chapters of our gathering. God is doing so many good things in so many lives and stories and in this gathering that it's easy just to stop and go, praise God, thank you. But we also believe that he's preparing us to serve more, to reach more. And around here we say that one more. We want to love one more person with the love of Jesus. We want to serve and meet one more need. We want to strengthen one more family. If you're around here long enough, you'll hear those often. And so would you, I'm just going to ask you, in these next few weeks in particular, would you pray often and earnestly that God would give us tremendous clarity about what he has in store for us so that we could begin in unity to walk towards that and pursue it well together? Um, we, we think we have some hints about what God's calling us to. I mean, this is the year we celebrate our 100th anniversary. So in some ways, as we look back, we're going, God, what are the ways you've consistently worked in this people? What would that look like in new chapters of our gathering? So please pray for us. Because I think in the coming months, you're going to begin to hear us talking about, here's what's next. You want to be part of it? Here's what's next. Let's serve more people. Let's love more people. Let's make a difference in this world. Because we want to be great neighbors. I... 
I've moved a lot in my life. I've had some really good neighbors in my life. I'm going to use the word, I've had some interesting neighbors in my life. Anybody had interesting neighbors? Like when you watch the Kramer montage, anybody ever had like a Kramer? That, God bless you. Maybe you've been a Kramer to somebody. God bless them. Um, I, December 2013, I'd been at North Terrace for about five or six weeks. We finally moved into our house. And so we moved into Eagle Point up in Nashport. Great house. I'm so grateful that God got us there. I'm in the back of the, 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 the rental truck, chucking all my stuff out to so many friends from North Terrace and, and family, and they're helping us move in. And all of a sudden, there's somebody I don't recognize standing right there. So I, it's me. I'm shy. Um, I hopped out, and I introduced myself, and I met Kelly. And Kelly lived across the street. And just had a quick conversation, talked about playing golf sometime. I was like, oh, I bet Kelly would be a nice guy. Next couple weeks pass. I'm getting ready for bed, and I get a phone call from my realtor who knows my neighbors across the street. And she says, Rian Kelly's daughter, her husband was just killed in a car accident. Would you be willing to go over and, and just see how they're doing? And, I mean, again, I'm not shy, but I didn't know them that well. And even then, I'm like, what, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? I, I'm, and, and, and friends, I'm the minister. I mean, anybody should know, I should know what to do in there. I'm going to confess to you, I, I got dressed, but as I'm walking down my driveway over to their house, I'm like, God, what, what am I going to do? They, they don't even really know me. I mean, how, am I supposed to just like, hey, I, I really felt like it was going to be that awkward. But I prayed. I said, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to go. Because I think that's what you want right now. And you just show up. And so I knocked on, my, I knocked on the door. And Kelly answered the door. And he, he cocked his head a little bit like, the first question is, Who's, who is this? You, you've done that before. And then there's that moment of recognition. Oh, it's Chris. And then there was a second recognition. Oh, it's Chris. And he invited me in. And we sat for the next 45 minutes to an hour. And they told me stories about their son-in-law. And we cried a little bit. We laughed a little bit. We did it together. I didn't, I didn't fix anything. I, I felt incredibly powerless. I bet you felt like that before. But at the end, I said... Before I head out, can we pray? And we stood in that living room, and we prayed. And there wasn't a dry eye. We just did it together. And then I went home. And it took a casual geographical connection to a whole nother level. And I have friends for life. In fact, a few years later, their son passed away, and they asked if I would be the, the, one of the ministers who officiated at the funeral. And they, they are such dear friends. And friends, that's not a one-way economy with them. It wasn't just, you know, Tanya and I going their direction. We didn't just go. They came. Yeah, I know you won't believe this, but in Zanesville in winter, we get snow. This year, you can't, it doesn't feel like that, right? But on many Sunday mornings, I come here very, very early, and it seemed like in my couple years we lived up in Eagle Point, it would always snow on Sunday morning, Saturday night. And so I don't have time to shovel the driveway before I get in. And so it's like, I'll have to deal with this when I get home. You know, almost every Sunday there was a snow. I would come home and Kelly had snow blown my driveway. I mean, that's a good neighbor. He showed me how to be a good neighbor. Well, I know we bribed him with brownies and chocolate chip cookies, the currency of neighborhood. But he was a friend and he took care of us. And I just love how many driveway conversations we had, just moments we shared, times we just laughed, times we cried. And I learned to be a good neighbor all over again. It's important 
that we live well together and that we learn to be good neighbors who neighbor well. And this morning, I hope to encourage you, I hope to challenge you on upping your neighboring game, that each and every one of us, no matter where we live, work, and play, can be really good neighbors to anyone we come into contact with. And I think it's important because it's pretty clear that's the pattern God laid out for us. Here's our big idea, our main idea for this morning. We go to our neighbors and we walk with them in life. This is not incredibly profound. It's not controversial, but it's something we all need to kind of own and see, how am I doing? Is there any room for growth in how I'm living this out? Each and every one of us, we go to, the na- to our neighbors where we live, work, and play, and we walk with them in life. We just share the moments that come in every chapter and every season. Each and every one of us is called to this. Now, our model for this walking together in life is Jesus Christ. I mean, we're disciples of Jesus, not disciples of Chris, not disciples of North Terrace, disciples of Jesus Christ. That means where he goes, we follow what he does, we try to do. He's our model for how to live. And in the book of Philippians, so if you have your Bibles and your Bible apps, I encourage you to go there. You'll be able to follow along on the screen in just a second. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at how the Apostle Paul talked about how Jesus was actually a really good neighbor. We don't think about him that often that way. We think about him as the Son of God. He's the guy who was really smart, did a lot of amazing miracles. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. There's so many great things about his story. We usually don't think about Jesus as a good neighbor. But he was the best neighbor ever. He was really good about moving into the neighborhood and making a difference with those where he lived, worked, and played. He was really good about walking with them in life. In fact, his very nature of his existence is almost the picture of a moving truck taking everything he has and moving into a new neighborhood. So with that in mind, I want you to just follow along here as we read. We're going to start with verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. Now, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So right there, the Apostle Paul is saying, here's my thesis statement. Here's, here's what I want you to consider, and then I'm going to help you understand how to actually do this. So every single one of us, as we live with one another, is to do it like Jesus did it. There's really nothing that profound about it, but it's important to consider that that's the model and the foundation. Now, continuing with verse 6. Who, Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So, that kind of sets where Jesus lived before he moved. He was in heaven. He was alongside the Father. In the Old Testament, there's several examples where the plurality description of God is mentioned. So Jesus was part of the story even before we get to the New Testament. He was present in the big story of humanity and creation. So he's in heaven. Verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So Jesus rented a big old U-Haul. And he packed up what he needed. And he went from where he was to a new neighborhood. Now the neighborhood in this case is, it's the world. It's you and me. He moved in next door so he could walk in life alongside us. So he could share the highs and the lows, the daily rhythms. So he could show us a way towards the Father, to the Father, the love of the Father. So he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So he moved in and he became, he went native. 
I mean, Jesus didn't move in and say, I like your quaint little homes. I'm building a mansion, like a mega mansion, like 200 acres, 200 rooms. Jesus moved in, and if anything, he probably moved into like a condo. He, he just he moved in right next door to be like us, to be like one of us, to not be different. So we pick up in verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he didn't just go native. He became so part of the community that when he realized the community had a need, he did whatever it took to meet that need. And in this case, the need was our brokenness, our sinfulness. And the only way to be restored to God the Father was if that sin could be overcome. And the only way to do that was the cross and the resurrection. So what does Philippians chapter 2 tell us? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Look, I love my neighbors a lot, but what a high calling, what a high standard of neighboring to say, I'll do whatever it takes. I will lay down my very life so you know the love of God. So, verse 9, check this out. Therefore, now you circle that word, and then you can almost draw all those verses 5 through 8 that we just read. All that leads to this next statement. Because all that was true, therefore... God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So everything that Jesus left behind in heaven to move into our neighborhood, everything that he seemed to lose and give up on, even as he died on the cross, God actually said, I'm going to restore it. I'm going to lift you back up to what you were called to be. And he gave him the name that, that is above every name. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So he became humbled and native, but now he's showing us the way to the Father, and we can choose him. Verse 11, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, I'm going to sum it up with three words, and you came to a gathering of people who follow Jesus, so this, this statement's going to blow your mind, and I mean that sarcastically. Be like Jesus. I almost feel like every time we gather, there should be some version of that statement. Be like Jesus. Now, in this case, being very specific, be like Jesus in what way? Be like Jesus and go to others as a servant with one agenda and one agenda only. Because too often, I think, we go, we're like, okay, I'm going to try to win them over and be my friend so I can put them in a spiritual headlock and noogie them with the plan of salvation. I mean, doesn't it seem like sometimes we almost have that kind of manipulative agenda? Friends, Jesus moved into the neighborhood with one agenda. I'm going to love them and show them the love of the Father. Let's go to others where we live, work, and play, and let's do it as a servant who says, I'm just here to love you. I'm just here to help. I just want to be a friend, and I'm going to trust that God is going to do more than I can do on my own because loving you is the most powerful thing I can do. Because that's what God did for me, and that's what transformed my life. And I think that's how he could transform your life, too. So, you want to be like Jesus? Wherever you live, work, and play, don't hide in the privacy fence backyard. Don't pull into your garage and shut the door as soon as possible. Find ways to get out in the driveway. Find ways to walk on the sidewalks. Find ways to sit in the break room. Find ways to share moments and experiences that go beyond how's the weather. That begin to 
to share important moments. And when you go, remember what I told you as I walked down that driveway, I get that there's fear and doubt and anxiety. I get that sometimes you're like, is God crazy? Why would he, why would he send me to be near my neighbors? Because God is an amazing genius who knows that all you need is you and he's going to do the rest. Trust God to take care of you when you go like Jesus went. Trust that God will take care of you. And sometimes you may discover that you're saying words that you, I mean, it's not that you're just making them up, but how is this coming out of my mouth in such a peaceful way? How am I able to love like this when there's been a season in my life where this person would have driven me crazy? When, when there's times I'm looking at them going, I want to like be mean to you right now. Come on, you've, you've wanted to be mean to people before. And we trust that God gives us strength and patience and a love beyond ourselves that, that we can then give to others. So there's an important word I said there, I said in the previous statement, Jesus, Jesus set us them up. We go to where others are. Go. 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 This is a powerful word that we need to get our heads around. And so it's pretty clear the plan since God gave us this gathering called his people, the church, that we were never called to sit. We're good at sitting, particularly in America, particularly at North Terrace. And I've said some versions of this before. I'm gonna say it again. I'm glad we have padded chairs. There are days my tired back and my tired legs like to sit in a padded chair. Can I get an amen? We'll go a little Pentecostal on that. Oh yeah, Chris, preach. Yeah, don't get me worked up on that because I'm going to work about other things and you've got to be just as excited. Okay, I'm glad we do. How sad would it be if the only time that we live out our faith, our love, the calling we have is when we gather for some of us, maybe an hour, just a little bit over an hour a week in these nice padded chairs and we have a little Jesus experience, we have this little encouragement and then we go home and we hide in our homes and we hide from people. That's not going, that's hiding. The plan from the very beginning as God was establishing his kingdom was he would send his people in the world and he says, go. So friends, you've been called and commanded to go by God the Father. And Jesus actually did this even before he went to the cross. You still got your Bibles in your Bible apps? Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at a quick narrative story. I'm going to spend the rest of our time in this section of Scripture because it's a pretty neat kind of narrative historical account of how Jesus sent his disciples. And while these were the first disciples back then, you, if you're a follower of Jesus now, this applies to you. This is something that's an imperative for you. So Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Come back to that, guys. Jesus sends his disciples into the world is the key thought we're going to work with here. This is the model of how he did it. So pick it up in verse one, here's how he did it. After this, the Lord, that's Jesus, appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Do you see this number? What's this number? 70, how many? Okay, good. When we think of Jesus' followers in the gospels, we usually focus on a different number, those who are closest to him. And the number is what? 12. The 12 who are closest. And we, so we think, the ones that he appointed, the ones that were the religious elite, the ones who were really responsible for the mission of God to tell the story of Jesus were these 12. And then you read this story and you find out 
well, yeah, there were 12 that were close to him, but there were other disciples who believed in Jesus, who were followers of him, who were learning the way of the kingdom of heaven, and there were enough that he sent out 72 in sets of two to go out to the towns and villages of the region so that when he showed up in town, they would have already said, our teacher, the rabbi Jesus, is going to be coming at some point. When he comes, he's going to tell you about these things, but let's go ahead and kind of begin to teach you about it even now. So Jesus, from day one, said the model for the church is not a religious elite few who do the work. It's all the disciples who go out, who go and live out the story that they've experienced. Verse 2. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is that kingdom of heaven, the fields around where we live, work, and play. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He actually tells us, pray that not only you, but many others would go. Go where we live, where we work, where we play. Go into the world. Verse 3. You've heard me say this word at least a few times already. The first word is? Good, okay, you're awake. Even with Time Change Sunday. We don't have to do calisthenics or anything. This word, go, has an exclamation point behind it. Now, that's our English way of saying it, but in the Greek, you know what it means? Go. It's not, I, mean, I can't even get like illustrative, pretty, and cool and come up with some deep thought. Jesus means go. There is not even an inkling of this word that means sit. There's not an inkling of this word that means gather and have nice potlucks. This word, and by the way, it's not a, if you feel good today and you feel confident, go. If you want to, you might go. It's not a question, let's see if I can do this right. <clears throat> go? You gotta use the tone right to get to make one word a question, but go? This is not a question. Friends, this is like an imperative command of someone who has authority, who looks you in the eye. It's Jesus, the Son of God, who at the end of all time will judge the nations. And here's what he says. Go. Go. The whole thing, all I have to say to you this morning is go. Let's pray. Let's go home. <laughs> you aren't that lucky today. Go. Because I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Well, you just kind of stole some of my joy there. But I'm still called to go. Verse 4. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. The image is of go. Don't wait. There's a certain amount of urgency because the kingdom of heaven is at stake. People need to know. And if you wait to grab your purse or your bag or sandals, or if you're on the way on the road and you're like me at Kroger, I went for three things. It took me 45 minutes because I ran into 20 of you people. I love it. Tanya's like, will you ever come home? No, nah, Kroger's is the best. I said, Kroger. <sighs> I'm gonna get rebuked for that later. We have been called to go, not to sit. I got good news for you. Jesus actually goes ahead of us. 
And when he goes ahead of us, he prepares the hearts of our neighbors where we live, work, and play so we can share life with them. If you're a disciple of Jesus, that means you follow him. Did Jesus go to church and sit? The answer is no. Jesus went. He's always going. He went to this village and that village. He went to this people group. He went to this house. Jesus, like you read the Gospels, it's like, did Jesus ever not travel? And the answer is no. He was always going. And so as disciples of Jesus who go where he goes, try to do what he did, try to live out his model, here's the great news. If I'm following Jesus, I'm not following him to the church. This is scandalous. I need you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Jesus never called us to gather for an hour on Sunday morning and have that be what we're all about. And if you have questions about what I just said, talk to me after. But I mean it. What he called us to do and be was a people who go and live out what we found and experienced. He gave us these gatherings as a place to be encouraged, to be cared for, to know we're not alone as we go, to, to rally together and accomplish the mission of the kingdom. To be the church is a good thing. But to be the church is not to gather, to be the church is to, to go. And so we gotta go. And he goes ahead of us. So I, I got good news for you. You're not going any place he hasn't already gone and isn't already working. When you go, he's at work. Verse five, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. In the Hebrew, this is shalom. Peace upon you, peace from God and peace from me. I'm not coming in opposition to you. I'm coming to love you and be near you. Verse six, if someone who promotes shalom, peace, is there, your peace, shalom, will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Okay, verse seven, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. All right, go. And because God has prepared the way, because Jesus has gone ahead of you, when the door is open and you're invited in, guess what you should do? Go and live and love where you live, work, and play. So we have the confidence in that. And as you begin to eat, and drink. By the way, like, I feel like the churchy version of this should be, stay there, studying the Bible, listening to the river, praying always, like doing all these super spiritual deep things. When Jesus tells us to go where people are live, work, and play, where we live, work, and play, what does he tell us to do? He says, go in, eat and drink. You do life together. You share the rhythms of life because as you do that, you're actually going to have chances to live the story and tell the story of Jesus, sometimes with words, but especially by how his love shows up through you. Friends, tell the story of Jesus by living well together. Let who Jesus is in your life shine so bright that they ask questions. Who are you? What is up with you? How do you have joy when it's so hard? How do you have hope when you should be overwhelmed? How are you able to love me when I'm mean to you? I mean, there's so many things that come up. Let's look how Jesus talked about this in verse eight and nine. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what's offered to you. It's kind of a restatement of what just happened. Heal the sick who are there. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. 
Okay, so here's the game plan. We're gonna go, we're gonna eat and drink with people we care about, where we live, work, and play. If we see a need, heal the sick. Now, it's not, it doesn't have to be that they're sick. If you see a need, work to meet it. And then your one message is not to preach a sermon. Tell them the kingdom of heaven is near. Can I sum that up for you? God loves you. That's a different way to say the kingdom of heaven is near. God loves you. That's your message. You can, you can all remember that, right? We don't have to have special training classes for that. You don't have to have 13 weeks of deep theological training. Shoot, some of you are really good at the first part. You really like to eat and drink. You're, you got the majority of the job accomplished. You're servants and missionaries in the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that great news? Okay. And if you see a need, most of you can be like, all right, I, I, could, I could try to help. And if I can't help, maybe I can find somebody who can. And most of you can say, God loves you. You want to know more? God loves you. You guys can do this, right? This is how God plans to grow his kingdom. And we try to make it so much harder. And he says, go and be a good neighbor. Live among your neighbors as a loving, caring person. And the kingdom of heaven will advance. Building on that, I like that he's at least honest when he says this. Not everyone will invite you into their life. Because I don't want, I don't want to over-sugarcoat this and go, if you just do this, everyone will be happy. Guys, we live in a broken world. And there's a lot of reasons people go, I don't know that I want to be this whole neighboring thing. Can't you like stay on your side of the street? So let's not be obnoxious. Let's not force ourselves on there. In fact, Jesus said in verses 10 through 16, I'm not going to read all that. He says there, when some people tell you they don't want you to be part of their lives, it's okay to step back and say, not right now. So what do you do in that moment? Pray for them. You can always do that. Wave a lot. I wave at people throughout this town. Like if you're driving, and even if I don't know who you are, I'll probably wave at you. It drives my wife nuts. She's like, do you even know who they are? No. But I'm going to be friendly today. But if you live near me and I don't know you yet, you're going to be like, that dude waves at me all the time. And hopefully over time, there will be a moment that God prepares that we can walk into and say, I'm here. I love you. What can I do? As we live out this journey, it's not just work. There's also an aspect of this that is celebration. Let's make sure we always celebrate that God is working in us, through us, but he's working in this world. And the enemy is retreating and God is advancing. He, Jesus told his followers that he sent out. When they came back, they were like, Jesus, the, I'm, I'm steal summary of what I'm about to read. Jesus, it actually worked. Like the kingdom of heaven is near and these people are falling in love with God. Look at how Jesus talk, describes it. The 72 returned, so those he sent out. They returned with, what a great word here. They returned with obeying God is a thing of joy. It's not exhausting labor. They returned with joy and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They were kind of like, this is awesome. Like, there's nothing that can really get in our way. We're just going to do what you asked. So Jesus took what they said. They replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So I saw the enemy retreat. 
Verse 19. I have given you to the immediate audience that was the 72. But this you had power in that moment. And you need to hear this is what he's saying to every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus, a disciple. I have given you, you, authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, so anything that could threaten you, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. He's got it. He's got it. He's on our side. He's fighting with God is working on our behalf. Let's not just celebrate that. Let's celebrate that God is preparing a future for us all that will be fully realized, but that is beginning to be experienced right now. Look at how he picks up in verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. I'd be like, okay, Jesus, I get you what you're about to say. I know you got to do that Jesus thing, but a demon just listened to me because of you. Like, that's pretty cool. Jesus says as great as that is, as great as all the things that God is doing in this world, what the best is, rejoice that your names are written in heaven, that there's a future promised, and that the neighbors we walk with here, who we love with one agenda, to love them like God loved us, what if many of them begin to walk with Jesus? Because then the promise of this is not only are our names written in heaven, the neighbors we share this journey with, we're going to be able to share eternity with. And that makes my heart happy. Because I care about them. I don't want them to just survive this world. I want them to thrive and be fully alive in the love of God. And so I celebrate not just what he's doing in my future, I celebrate what I hope he does in theirs. There's so much more to celebrate. Let's celebrate that God is revealing his great love through us. Like, who are we that he would do this? But Jesus, in Matthew 5, he actually uses a pretty cool image of his disciples. He calls you salt. And you're like, I don't want to be salt. His thought is, salt in a salt shaker is not doing its job. But when you shake it out, and that salt comes into contact with food, it makes the flavor pop. It brings it seasons. It preserves it. He called us the salt. He said, go out and be shaken out. Don't just gather. Scatter. Like, go. The other image he uses in that same section is, you're not just the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And no one lights a lamp and hides it. He lets it shine bright. The love God has shown you is not to be hidden like you're going to lose it. It's to be given like you can't run out of it. Like the only way to get more of it is to try to give it all away and find out every time I give more of this love I experience from God, he keeps filling me. So I can't outgive, I can't outlove. So I'm going to go and try to love as many people as possible. Let's pick back up in Luke 10. There's a pretty intimate moment here where apparently in this historical account, this narrative account, Jesus just pauses and goes, I've got, I've got a moment of deep passion here. Listen to this. Now at that time, Jesus full of what? Joy. I, I, the, the, the image in my head of Jesus smiling and radiant with joy is a pleasant and good thought. Full of joy through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. So from those who are religious and have all the answers, they're really missing the point because they aren't going 
their hiding and reveal them to little children, the weak, the vulnerable, you and me. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Verse 22, all things have been committed to be by my Father. No one knows who the Son is, Jesus, except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Who has Jesus chosen to reveal God to? On the cross, there is this moment of amazing clarity. Out of the empty tomb, there is this moment of amazing clarity where the entire world has a moment to understand, the opportunity to understand. The God who seems so foreign and distant has moved into our neighborhood. And he is not apart from us. He is with us. And he loves you. And so Jesus has chosen to reveal this love. But did he do it on a cable news network? No. Did he do it on newspaper headlines? The way Jesus reveals the love of the Father and the reality of the Father is you. Where you live, where you work, and where you play. And if you don't go, there will be people who don't know. And that has tremendous consequences in now and for eternity. And so Jesus has joy that God is doing something great. But I think as great as his joy is, he could also have sorrow if we don't go. Verse 23. Then he turned to his disciples. So in this moment, it would be he turned to you. And he says privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Verse 24, For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. The world needs the love of God more than ever. And you are God's chosen method to tell his story. But if we do not go and be the neighbors that we've been called to be, there will be many that don't hear. Oh, friends, we have a God who knows we're too weak for this job and can't do it on our own. And if you're at a moment where you feel weak and tired, I want to encourage you to remember God is the strength you need. He's the endurance you need. He can help you accomplish and overcome things that are beyond you. Maybe you're at a point of hopelessness. And if you're here right now, you're just trying to find something to cling to when the world seems turned upside down. God is what I want to encourage you to cling to. And he can be your hope. He is our life. He is our salvation. He is the one who shows us the Father. So I want to encourage you to stand right now. And for those of you who are disciples of Jesus, who have claimed him as your Lord and Savior, celebrate that he left heaven to come to you. But if you're here this morning and you haven't taken that step with Jesus to begin to follow him, we have prayer partners right up here. We would love to pray with you, to talk with you, to encourage you. Let's walk together and let's go tell the story.